health update. Dr. Korn, you have our attention. Thank you and welcome everybody. Uh, this week, our average daily case rate is down uh, and we're down to 43.6 cases per 100,000 per day. The last time I reported, we had a decrease, but I was not sure it was really significant. At this time, the decrease has been repeated over three weeks and seems to be consistent also with the state trend. Let me get this so I can see it. Um, so we have a slide up here that shows in purple our recent epidemiologic uh, weekly average data back from the beginning of July. And you can see that uh, in uh, August 22nd, uh, the rate was as high as 55 and change, and it has come down uh, clearly down to 46. Uh, and so we're, and, and actually today it's even smaller than that. Let's see if that's on here. Well, it shows it's down to 37, and uh, I'm not sure where that number exactly comes from, but uh, what we have posted on our, on our uh, website, on the, the um, uh, dashboard is 43.6 cases per 100,000 per day today. The, um, so uh, we have another slide that I wanted to show you that shows this is not just Mendocino County, but also in California, we're coming along from June and you can see that California was at its lowest point, but altogether now we're looking at the, the uh, peak uh, in uh, around uh, early August, but it has consistently come down now uh, uh, through the end of August and into September in California. Um, and then finally, there is another slide coming up, slide four, uh, that shows uh, Mendocino here is the yellow color, and it did peak somewhere in the range of August 10th or so, and it's come down now. And then the purple line is the Rural Association of Northern California Health Officers, which is the group that uh, we are in, and that is also coming down. Uh, you may remember back in uh, August, I said we were the worst in Rancho. Well, now we're not. And, um, and we're actually approaching the greater Sacramento uh, area, the red line. Uh, the, the blue line in the middle here is actually all of California. So it does look like all of us are trending down now. And Mendocino is, uh, is part of that trend. We started out significantly higher, uh, but now we're definitely on a downward uh, course. And that's very good. Uh, we still see days like yesterday when we get over 70 cases reported. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but because we're not secure yet, but this looks pretty good. We currently have 402 people in isolation and 151 people in quarantine, and we're currently providing food and shelter for 25 people. Remember that the rates of hospitalization and death usually follow a rise in the cases. So as of September 9th, we had 22 people in our hospitals. And that included two from other counties hospitals uh, where those counties are full. Additionally, there are five of our Mendocino residents who require more care than we can give them here in Mendocino County and are being cared for outside of Mendocino County. Yesterday, we only had one staffed ICU bed available. Today, we have three staffed. And this changes pretty often. This is the, uh, the uh, ability of the, uh, uh, the hospital staff to move patients around and some get better and they get uh, discharged in med surge. Uh, but it's uh, very difficult if, we're, if you come to the emergency room and need ICU on a day when we are completely full. And that's why we have the state uh, all working together to get people transferred who need to. Um, it's important to understand that um, our hospitals have opened up extra surge beds and have reached out to the state and actually have received additional staff temporarily, but they're still short. So the staff is taking frequent uh, double shifts and they're exhausted at this point by the epidemic. The County Behavioral Health Department under Dr. Janine Miller has been able to directly assist with providing extra beds in a holding facility and transportation for patients awaiting transfer to uh, mental health facilities out of the county. Remember, nearly all hospitalized patients have been unvaccinated. 67 county residents have passed away now from COVID, and it's, uh, it's uh, uh, good to look at the average age of the last four people who passed away was 51.5 years old and all unvaccinated. So this is very much a difference from the winter uh, when uh, we were seeing uh, people dying who were in their 
60s, 70s, and 80s predominantly. Stomatary Hospitals has also begun to give monoclonal antibody infusions, uh, and this is for high-risk outpatients uh, who are uh, mild to moderately ill, but it avoids hospitalization later in their course. So moving on to schools, schools have been open for almost a month, and there's been a lot of thought on mitigation efforts, including frequent testing and universal masking designed to keep the staff and the children safe and keep the schools open. To date, we have had no outbreaks. We have detected 31 positive cases, and that has involved three teachers, and it has involved 16 schools. This early testing, however, has enabled us to isolate affected, uh, affected people and quarantine those classes using the new modified quarantine to prevent spread, but still allow the schools to be open and the students taking advantage of those classes. Note that because I'm saying these are none of these are outbreaks, all of these cases were felt to be brought in from home or other parties in, that they had in the community, and they are being contained without transmission. Last month, I uh, released some advice for safe youth sports, and the CDPH uh, also released their guidance in the last couple of weeks. And this coming week, I'll re release an update developed in collaboration with several Northern California counties, which, I will, which will include advice for after-school activities such as choir and drama, which we're missing until now. Uh, we'll move on to vaccines. Um, the demand has been increasing, uh, especially since Pfizer has received full authorization and people feel that it is uh, much safer uh, than they felt when it was under emergency use authorization only. Um, and uh, it also may have helped to have them uh, authorized for third doses for people who are immune compromised, such as those with transplants, some cancers, some immune deficiencies or medications that can interfere with developing immunity. Um, so the third doses are the third dose in the primary series. And again, it's because these people are felt to have not been able to mount the correct antibody response with their initial series. On the other hand, booster doses would be for people who've had a full primary series and President Biden re recently announced his desire to start booster doses uh, for, uh, for uh, all other people. The third doses for immune compromise are currently available at clinics, pharmacies, and at the county events. There is some controversy in the scientific community about the need for boosters. So the FDA and the CDC are meeting to assess this and make their recommendations. Also, it is hoped that Pfizer's authorization for COVID vaccines for children between five and, and 12 years old will be approved in the next month or so. So we're planning for much more vaccinations this fall. Can we go to slide uh, the next slide? Oh, I think we have that here, good. Uh, as of September 6th, we had distributed in our county 103,299 doses. Uh, and this, um, we were, with this, we were able to achieve 66.9% of eligible people are fully vaccinated and 64.9% of the total po uh, population are fully vaccinated. Uh, of the eligible population, 77.7% have had at least one dose. From an equity perspective, we continue to exceed the state among the lowest resource communities and in the Hispanic population. 88.7% of those in quartile one, the least resourced uh, um, communities have been uh, at least partially vaccinated compared to 76% in the state. In quartile two, which we were also leading the state, uh, we're at 73.5%, but this has fallen behind the state. And unfortunately, this is the largest population of Mendocino falls into this uh, socioeconomic quartile. 63.3% of Hispanic residents are at least partially vaccinated compared to 70% of non-Hispanic whites. However, this is while this is a disparity, the disparity is narrowing, and that's a good thing as we move forward. Uh, the next slide shows uh, age groups. And as you can see, the age groups that we're not keeping up with the state are 12 to 49 year olds and those who are over 65. Um, and so you can see the, uh, the uh, you can see them going up 
And the, the, uh, the steepest increase has, of course, been in the 12 to 17-year-olds uh, that jumped as soon as the Pfizer was available for the 12 to 15-year-olds. Uh, the 8 to 49 is still staying pretty slow. It's rising, but pretty slow. Uh, the 50 to 64 is uh, rising slowly, but really those who are most vulnerable over 65 years old are still just almost flat in terms of their uptake of the vaccines, and they still remain one of the most uh, vulnerable in our population. In contrast, some people have been using ivermectin, a veterinary deworming medicine, which is not approved for COVID, and it has been associated with more visits to the emergency room in California and nationwide for, because of poisoning. Uh, the next slides I wanna show, I showed the safety, the relative safety of vaccines uh, compared to uh, with vaccinated versus uh, unvaccinated. Uh, we've, been we've been giving the approximately 3% of the population who are more immune pro uh, compromised their third days doses. Uh, and the boosters, there are questions whether it's waning. So let's just go over this particular slide the uh, the green line, the solid green line, shows the uh, rates of cases in people who are not vaccinated, and this stems from January all the way through September. The dotted green line, on the other hand, shows the rates of cases among those people who have been fully vaccinated, and the and the uh, wider gray uh, gray line is just an average of those. Uh, as we go down, the next, uh, the next slide, slide 12, shows a similar uh, comparison in the rates of hospitalization. And again, you see about 10 times uh, the number of vaccinated in the blue, uh, unvaccinated in the blue lines wind up in the hospital compared to those in the dotted blue line who are fully vaccinated. And uh, in slide, the next slide, we show the rates of deaths. And, and this is California data. Uh, but it clearly shows that on the red line, those who are uh, not vaccinated are uh, at least 10 times more uh, susceptible to death than those in the, uh, who are vaccinated, who are on the dotted red line. Um, so the next, this uh, graph shows how well, how effective these vaccines really are and they're maintaining at least 80% or more efficacy uh, in cases, that's the green line at the bottom. Uh, so uh, it is still very effective. And if you look at the hospitalizations in the blue line, it is over 90%. And in terms of deaths, it is 95% effective in that range. And let's see, I think, is there one more? Yes. So uh, this also shows for California, the counties who have more or less vaccinations and their uh, rates of cases. Uh, so on the bottom line, uh, we see the vaccination coverage. More to the right is higher vaccination coverage. And if you look directly up from the 50, there's Mendocino County. And we're, um, you know, in the last two weeks, um, our case rate uh, is, uh, is up to in the range of, what is that, 600? Um, but if you look at to the left of that, where the uh, where there is a lower vaccination coverage, uh, these people all these counties all have significantly higher uh, case rates. And compared to uh, the ones to the right of Mendocino, where the coverage is significantly higher, the case rates are significantly lower. Uh, let's see. So there has been discussion about the uh, boosters. And, uh, and this uh, feeds into that discussion. These extra doses would be given for waning immunity and uh, they're not yet authorized. And so we're waiting for clarification when and how we would start this. Uh, it is not clear that it's necessary and that's why it's being discussed in the scientific community and the FDA and the CDC. And even if it is felt that they're necessary, they will not be needed on an emergency basis um, uh, according to the evidence so far. Uh, because the two vaccines continue to show very good protection, and we do not expect to lose pe for people to lose their immunity overnight. However, the county is seeing the, uh, this coming fall as a time of great need by many groups for vaccinations, and these will include those who are deciding now is their time, they haven't gotten their vaccines yet, 
Also, the 12 to 18 years old who have most recently become eligible and want to freely participate in sports and other social activities. And uh, soon, we're hoping those uh, 5 to 12-year-old uh, children who've been anxiously awaiting their turn so their lives can return to normal and they can enjoy play and sports uh, as they used to. And then also the people who are immune compromised and then uh, very possibly those who want booster vaccinations. So in order to make this mobilization happen, uh, the county is now actively planning with our partners to accomplish this as efficiently as possible using everything we learned from last year. But I want to announce today clearly we cannot do this alone. We need those wonderful volunteers who helped us in the past and more that we will try and uh, we'll try and uh, involve in this effort. Uh, whether you have skills or no skills, uh, if you speak English or Spanish, we need you. And here is where you can call people, uh, where you can call to register to be a volunteer. It's through NCO and the number 707-467-3200 and it's extension 239. So please make use of that number. So we now have several outbreaks in our county. Uh, the county jail is one which has uh, recently reported no new cases in the last week, and I think that they will um, probably be uh, testing out of this outbreak in the next week or so. We do have two uh, skilled nursing facilities that are um, uh, that are suffering from an outbreak, tightly controlled and almost ended. Another is getting technical assistance that we've asked the state CDPH. Um, uh, Healthcare acquired infection division uh, to give them uh, uh, to review their situation and give them some training and uh, make some recommendations. Uh, one is also in a homeless shelter, which is beginning uh, their outbreak testing, and we've had to uh, put several people in uh, shelter uh, so that they can recover safely. The Safeway in Willits has recently been identified as an outbreak, and uh, Round Valley. Uh, has had over 87 cases. I've asked uh, tribal chair Jim Russ to give us a sense of the cooperative efforts being brought to bear on that um, on that outbreak. Uh, do you know if he has joined us yet? It does not look like he's joined us yet. Okay. Well, he may. He did have another meeting and said he would join us. Um, I'll just say that the Round Valley Tribes and Round Valley Indian Health Center have been tirelessly working with the whole community while testing and isolating, quarantining, arranging housing, vaccinations. And in addition, uh, they have begun a, pro a program of monoclonal antibody subcutaneous administrations, which is really the first in the state in such a distant rural clinic far from the city. So a lot of, uh, a lot of training going on there, a lot to be proud of, and uh, hopefully they're gonna be able to uh, help their elders make it through this outbreak. The Mendocino County uh, Public Health Department, California Department of Public Health, the California Tribal Epidemiology Center uh, are all uh, working together to try and do this. And hopefully he'll be able to uh, come in uh, in just a few minutes and, uh, and talk to us himself. Let me know when he's here. Uh, as far as new orders, uh, you know the federal government has released strong recommendations for masking and vaccination, including for the VA and the Department of Defense in the past. And yesterday, President Biden announced the broadest mandate for vaccinations and mask wearing so far for all federal workers, contractors, others receiving any federal dollars, as well as for all employers with over 100 people. The state has released orders for vaccines or testing for school staff, healthcare workers, and state workers, and we have released orders for fire, EMT, and first responders uh, to get uh, vaccinated or regular testing, and then also recommendation for all employers, which Mendocino County is implementing. Recently, uh, there were some plan, and there are some planned orders. Uh, a major concern has been uh, of mine has been seeing our contact investigation data showing outbreaks and high-risk exposures in restaurants and bars consistent with the known risks of these activities in the scientific literature. I had received several requests from lodging industry restaurants and many residents to help them with an order so that they could find safe environments to eat out and share a drink with a friend. In response, I announced at last week's Board of Supervisors meeting to improve the safety of these establishments, 
a pro proposed order requiring staff vaccination or regular testing and vaccination of uh, vaccination verification of patrons who wanted to eat it inside. Takeout and patio orders would continue to be to maintain the patronage of the non-vaccinated uh, residents. However, many owners, not all, objected to this and held a meeting on Saturday to speak out against the order. I was invited and actually gladly attended. Uh, there was frustration and heartbreaking stories about how they have suffered through the broad sh shutdowns of last year and how they feared having further hardships with a proposed order. At the same time, we were all heartbroken about the illness and the death, as well as the economic losses that COVID has brought. I received many letters from both sides, many with very positive suggestions. Perhaps the strongest influence on me has been the deep divisions in our community that have created a roadblock to our advancing battle with this virus. Consequently, hoping to move our community forward in a unified way, I've changed my plan. I am now drafting an order as requested by members of this group of businesses to make staff vaccination and patron screening a strong recommendation. In addition, I'll release an order requiring each establishment that serves food or alcoholic beverages to post in the front of their business what protections consumers can expect in their establishment. A similar concept to the labels of ingredients on, of nutritional value that we receive on, a gross, on grocery items. This has been crafted in the interest of transparency and consumer protection, allowing everyone their freedoms. So in summary, uh, COVID-19 Delta surge continues, nearly all among the unvaccinated. Uh, recently, the data suggests that this may be decrease, decreasing, yet we just had Labor Day, and upcoming will be Halloween, and then Thanksgiving, and Christmas and New Year's. Last year, we saw this lineup of invitations to gatherings large and small, and they started a terrible surge in the nation, in California, and also in Mendocino County. So I encourage all to start their planning now. If you want to visit or travel or just get back to normal, get vaccinated. Unvaccinated people continue to be 10 or more times more vulnerable to illness, hospitalization, and death. There will be also more and more restrictions for unvaccinated to protect our communities. And we know now that vaccines are very safe and very effective. We are seeing success within the schools. Please participate in the testing programs. And when the children are eligible, get them vaccinated so they can play with their friends and return to normal without the fear of COVID. If you have symptoms, stay home, get tested, follow isolation and quarantine recommendations and cooperate with our contact investigation and contact tracing team to protect your circle of friends and family and our community, and also to get services if you need them to help you through your isolation or quarantine period. If you're at high risk and have symptoms, consider calling your provide, provider for an infusion of monoclonal antibodies. If you think you have a severe immune compromise, call your provider to see if you can get a third shot to bring up your immunity. There are more opportunities to get vaccinated at your provider's offices, at pharmacies, and soon we'll be having regular COVID vaccine clinics at all three of our public health centers in Willits, Monday and Wednesday from 1230 to 530, and in Fort Bragg on Mondays from 8 to 530 with a lunch break. And in addition, uh, uh, there will be, continue to be the Friday all-day Ukiah Fairgrounds vaccine clinic. So please, again, get vaccinated. They are safe, they are effective, and now is the time. And please volunteer to help in the fall vaccination campaign whether or not you have skills, call NCO, and the number was just posted. Uh, please wear masks. Uh, well, let's not forget the non-pharmacological intervention. Wear masks indoors in public places and outdoors in crowds, except while actively eating or drinking. If you go out to eat, keep your mask on, except when you're actually eating or drinking. Increase the ventilation indoors and spend more time outdoors. Keep your distances from non-household members whenever possible, both inside and outside. Remember hand hygiene with soap and water or hand sanitizer. And gatherings understand they are higher risk. It's an individual choice. It's much safer if everyone is vaccinated. Avoid large gatherings if you can. Outdoor is safer. Avoid eating if you can and drinking or do that outside. 
And uh, together, I think we can beat this virus. So I'm going to end here. Uh, let me ask first, before I close, whether uh, uh, Chairman Russ has joined us. He is not yet. Okay. Well, I'd love to hear his, you know, his presentation, uh, even during the question and answer period. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Korn. Uh, first up, we're going to have KMUD. Not hearing anything from them. We're going to move on to KZYX. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is Sarah Reith. Um, I guess I'm wondering about the efficacy of these signs um, that you're planning to have in the businesses. And we've heard a lot during the pandemic about findings and various data. And I'm just wondering if there's been a finding to indicate that a sign will cause people to make decisions that will halt the progress of the disease, or if this is just kind of based on an unproven theory about decision-making behavior. Um, you know, Sarah, that's a good question, um, but I think it has been answered in, in some way when we put uh, the labels of what proteins and calories and what nutritional uh, value items are on the outside of a bottle of, let's say, ketchup. And that's been, uh, that's been found to be safe and effective, and it gives people a choice. It's a consumer protection process. And so I think that's in the good of the whole community. I guess I just don't ever make decisions based on whether there's a sign saying that there are chemicals or unreinforced masonry in the building. Um, but uh, I guess we don't know how everybody else makes their decisions. That's right. Some really look at those labels. And I think some will look at those, uh, those buildings and say, uh, you know, I can find another place to go. Some will say, I can find another place and it's safer. And others will say, I really don't care. And that's the beauty of living in our community. There, we, we come in all shapes and sizes. But again, this is uh, for transparency, so people have the, a way to make a, 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 a informed decision. Did you have a follow-up question? Um, no, I think I'll let someone else have a chance. Okay. Next up, Press Democrat. All right, not hearing anything. Mendocino Action News. Hello, thank you for the meeting. Um, I have some questions, just get to them real quick. Sorry about that. Some of you had already answered, so I appreciate that. Okay, one of them, a lot of our members keep asking this question over, can you get COVID-19 more than once? We talked about antibodies wearing off approximately 90 days after getting COVID and informing people that have gotten COVID to still get a vaccine. So can you confirm if you can get COVID-19 more than once? Yes, we've seen, we've seen many cases of that. And it happens more often after a, uh, an infection than after the uh, vaccination. All right, thank you. Let's see the next one. I hear there are a lot of people that still choose to use the horse medicine. I'm not gonna say it right, ivermedicine. Uh, ivermectin, ivermectin. Yeah, thank you. Regardless uh, of FDA and health officer warning, why do you think this is? Are there any home remedies that have been proven to be effective while at home battling COVID-19, such as vitamin C, zinc, breathing exercises, oxygen monitor, or et cetera? I think people try things because they're frightened. And I think, unfortunately, many people have been frightened by misinformation and disinformation about two inexpensive, accessible, effective, and safe uh, products that we already have now. And I think they're, you know, people are not used to uh, these kind of vaccines, even though they've been around for decades. Uh, and the science behind them is very good and the safety has been proven. Uh, and they've clearly brought down the, the mortality and the infection rates in many countries, as well as in the United States, California, and Mendocino County. But I think fear drives decisions that are sometimes not the best decisions. Thank you. Wait. Next up, oh, did you have follow up, another follow-up question? 
Well, I just meant, is there anything that you would suggest at home for people that are taking care of themselves at home as these beds are filling up? So, I mean, if, if that's not a good choice, is there something else they can add to it, like vitamin C, zinc? Yeah, there's not uh, good data to, uh, to show efficacy that's consistent and that is, uh, that is really eff effective. So I don't have that except the usual, you know, COVID is a virus. And so the, the, the uh, types of uh, symptoms that you have vary uh, from as mild as any other virus to extremely sick. And if you're not extremely sick and you can take care of yourself, then rest and fluids. And, you know, if you, if you believe in taking uh, vitamins, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend um, mega vitamins. There many mega vitamins have been promoted and sold and they turn out uh, with later research because research is oftentimes done too late uh, to be very harmful uh, to people. And so they're, you know, they're, they're uh, that's that practice is ended when you can uh, get the publicity out. But certainly if you're not eating very much and you take a multivitamin, I think that there's no harm in that. Uh, making sure you're hydrated. Uh, uh, you know, if you have muscle aches and pains and Tylenol works fine for that. Mild fevers, you can use Tylenol. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I think that home remedies are have not been shown to be nearly as effective as, for example, monoclonal antibodies for those people who are at high risk of getting a worse infection and possibly winding up in the hospital. Uh, that's the use that we want to make of the monoclonal antibodies and the way to prevent, and we all love prevention, uh, a, uh, a uh, vaccination. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is going to be Mendocino Voice. Hi, thank you. Um, so I was wondering, Dr. Corrin, if you could walk us through, um, and I don't know if you're able to provide a little bit more specifics about these current ongoing uh, or the current outbreaks in the county, um, starting with sort of how we're currently defining an outbreak. I know that that definition maybe has shifted since the start of the pandemic. Um, what the county is doing to work with these specific businesses or, you know, in the case of the nursing facility where there is outside help being brought in to consult and for employees at businesses who may, you know, either be an employee in a place with an outbreak and have concerns about how that's being handled or if there's employees who have had cases at their workplace, sort of what that process is looking like right now. So usually an outbreak is defined. Uh, as three cases that are what we call epi-linked. So we can, we can see that these three cases uh, have had contact in the workplace or in the wherever the outbreak is, uh, enough of a contact that they could have had transmission uh, through that contact, and that there is not contact outside of that, let's say workplace, for example, that would explain the, uh, the two or three infections. And so we wanna see three infections and there's some exceptions to that in congregate uh, care like nursing homes, uh, where when we have one resident, uh, we are already on top of that because we have a very vulnerable population. So uh, uh, fewer, fewer cases uh, may account for a, uh, a uh, considering a, a nursing home an outbreak and then what we do is we consult with them. Uh, we make sure that uh, in, in general, when there's an outbreak, that uh, it's very clear that people who are involved or might be involved have been warned that they may have been a close contact and they should take precautions, including quarantining. When that happens in the school, there are different types of quarantines, uh, but we try and give advice. And for the most part, school staff are able to do that. But our team gets in touch with anybody who has a uh, uh, positive test, or at least we try to, um, and uh, and we give them advice about how to either quarantine if they're a close contact, or how to uh, isolate if they're actually the index case, and what kind of uh, complications they should be looking for uh, to prompt them to go to either uh, their pro medical provider or even to the emergency room if it's a troublesome enough uh, symptom. Um, and then, you know, we also provide 
uh, housing in cases of, let's say, a family in a small living situation that really have no way to quarantine someone in their household or isolate someone in their household, we can provide uh, housing for them and food for them, or it may be someone who can quarantine at home <clears throat> or isolate at home, but then they have no way to get some food, and so we can provide food uh, for them. Um, and, and the other thing is, if, if people are in that category that are uh, mild to moderately ill, but they're very high risk, we might uh, recommend them to go seek uh, monoclonal antibody administration to keep them out of the hospital. Um, I guess to clarify, this is a follow-up question, not a new one. If, are you able to give the names and specific case numbers of these current cases? So we've been contacted by some people about the Safeway outbreak, you know, indicating that there's possibly 10 or more cases there. People saying, you know, my family member works at this store and they don't feel like this outbreak is being handled. So I'm trying to find out, you know, if we if we can get any more details about the current specific outbreaks as well and sort of what that's looking like for people who might work in those workplaces, what what kinds of expectations they might be able to have as as employees in the current landscape. Employers are, are required by law <clears throat> to inform uh, other employees that might have been in contact with a positive case. We will follow up um, if, if we can't be sure that a, that a contact case, uh, if we can't be sure that we can uh, um, find all the contacts to an index case. So for example, we put uh, messages in the newspaper when there's been, let's say, a server in a restaurant or uh, someone who is typically close to many customers and wouldn't necessarily know how to get in touch with them. So we put a notice in the newspaper to follow up and make sure that the community is protected and that they should get checked uh, either by a test or seeing their provider because they may have had close contact. Um, within the, within the um, organizations, uh, you mentioned Safeway, uh, sometimes we've run into situations where the employer is not aware of what needs to happen or sometimes where they feel like they can get away with it and uh, they don't uh, follow the orders. And it may be for very good reasons from their point of view. If they let everybody go who's, who's uh, been a close contact, it'd be hard for them to continue their business. But it would be equally hard for everybody around them if the uh, if the disease was transmitted, and so we, you know, so we warn them and, and we work with them to try and get them to understand uh, what is the best way to handle such an outbreak. Uh, I'm not going to go into more specifics about individual people or individual cases. Uh, I will say that uh, we have uh, done what I've just outlined with uh, with several of the cases and some of, and the ones that we have uh, that we have right now that we know are outbreaks. So I'm sorry, I'm just, so we, we should not expect any business names for all the current outbreaks that you just listed. We haven't received any public notices in the way that we have with other, the, the other types of situations that you've listed. So should the public expect to have that press release coming out about any of these nursing facilities with members as they have, or has the county determined that these current outbreaks do not warrant that kind of public notification in terms of how many cases are at this facility or at the Safeway, and this is something the public should be aware of. Can you just clarify that part? If so when the nursing home, for example, has an outbreak, um, we notify them and they notify their families and other people who may have been close contacts, let's say, of staff members. Um, we, we don't want to uh, dwell a lot on the individual nursing home so that it, it causes people to be afraid to go there. And we've done the same thing with hospitals. We don't want people to stay away from a hospital because there's a COVID case there. Uh, but we, we prefer to make sure that it's handled uh, in-house, if you will. But when it can't be, for example, when there are uh, close contacts that, that can't be reached, uh, then we do make a press release on those. Okay, thanks. Um, are we doing two questions at once or are we going around? If you have a follow-up question, you can go ahead. Sure, so I was wondering if you could um, just speak generally. I know that uh, one of the questions that often comes up in the general public, with the general public, and this is something that has been covered in 
past press conferences, but maybe if there's if just a way for people to understand it a little better, there seems to be some confusion that people have around the idea that vaccinated people are not being asked to isolate in the same way after an exposure. Um, but they all also can, you know, transmit COVID to other people. And so I was wondering if you can help clarify that distinction for people a little bit more. There's a lot of questions that we get about how come vaccinated people don't need to follow these same kinds of precautions if they might be able to pass it on. Um, so if you could just go over that one more time for people, I think that'd be helpful. Good. So that's a great question. <clears throat> Clearly people who have an infection and they're not vaccinated or they've come in contact with uh, with someone who has the infection and they're not vaccinated, they have a very high likelihood of, of getting the infection and of passing it on. Um, and that lasts for a long time after they've uh, come in contact with it. For people who are vaccinated, although yes, we understand they can uh, catch the infection and they can transmit the infection, there is a, a big difference in degree. So even those people who have a fairly high uh, 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 contact and may have, uh, as you've read about, high viral loads uh, in their noses, um, those, even when they have been researched, the high viral loads fall off much quicker than in people who are unvaccinated. So are, they are less, um, less uh, contagious uh, for a much shorter time. And their odds of getting uh, severely ill or passing on transmitting uh, an illness uh, with a high uh, infective load is much smaller. So, you know, we can let something like this or another virus control our lives and it becomes even more than we want. Um, or we can ignore it and forget about doing any contact investigation and, and, uh, and um, uh, controlling the spread through understanding who's been a contact and who should be quarantined. So we try and scientifically figure out what do we need to do at this point, given the environment and the contagiousness of the illness, the amount of contact uh, and things like that. So that's why there are differences. What we assessed and a good example is what's being done in the schools right now. Uh, with the schools, it's very important for the children to be in school, both from an academic, but also social and economic reasons. And so we've really had uh, a lot of problems closing down schools last year when we knew very little about how it would affect children. And we were frankly, in our ignorance, very, very scared, correctly so, that it would uh, just go right through the children's community and put a lot of them in the hospital. We found out that that was not the case. They can contact, contact it and they can contract it. They can get the infection, uh, but the infections are significantly and have been significantly less frequent and less severe. Um, so this year, in order to uh, correct uh, the problems of closing down the schools entirely last year, uh, what we've done is developed a, um, a modified quarantine. So for one thing, we have children in classes and they're masked 100% of the time with some exceptions of uh, children who are exempt. Uh, but they're by and large, their their contact is is controlled, and it's and if they have contact with each other while wearing masks, even though they may have been close contact with an index case, we think that their likelihood of actually contracting the disease and passing it on is very small. So we allow more of a time in class rather than putting them on a quarantine like we do with other people. We put them on a modified quarantine where they continue to go to class and they're tested on a regular basis. But after class, uh, they go home and they're basically in quarantine. And so we use we use some amount of uh, scientific information. And, you know, in a in a pandemic uh, at this point early on in the course and even at this point, uh, it may be early on in the course. We don't know our, our understanding changes and we try and modify the recommendations and the orders and the practices. And so, you know, I, I, that's as close as I can get to a full answer of what you're asking me. That's why we don't do it in some cases uh, and we do it in other cases. There's there's good scientific background for that. Okay, thanks. I, hopefully that will be helpful to people to mm -hmm. clarify. Thank you. I'm gonna do uh, two questions from uh, Facebook. 
Uh, one is, is there a place to get a COVID-19 test in the county that also gives out a travel certificate? A travel certificate? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get a vaccine in the county, um, you get a, um, a vaccine record that you should keep with you. And my recommendation has always been, as soon as you get it, if you have a smartphone, take a picture of it and keep it there. And that is the best and safest and soonest way you have a travel certificate. Uh, the the um, the state has developed a um, what do they call it a smart record? Um, I can tell you in a second because I've written it down here. Um, but uh, it, it, the smart health card, and they and you can get that through my vaccine record. It's all one word. Dot cdph. Dot ca. Dot gov. Uh, and you'll want to make sure you have your name, date of birth, phone, and email. And if you have problems with it, and many people have had problems with it, there's a helpline, 833-422-4255. And they had a huge backlog because there are problems if the person filling out their card uh, gave them another card or said something slightly different, or there was a misspelling in the name or the address those records don't match up and the computer can't spit out their uh, smart health card. But then the helpline has been uh, has been very active and they have uh, decreased the initial backlog. I'm trying to think back what was said this week uh, from almost uh, 4 million to 1 million. So they've they've cleared out 80% of the of the questions. And I know several people have tried it. It's been a little frustrating to begin with, uh, but they do get their their smart card uh in in uh, in a reasonable amount of time well it's reasonable for some people and it's too long for other people i like the smartphone myself it's it's there and and it's accessible does that answer your question uh, i believe so and then there's one other question oh. is there a test for the delta variant instantly for the delta variant okay no there's no test for the delta variant so the delta variant is a covid virus and there's a small uh variation in the in the in the uh, nuclear material that codes for the a di slightly different spike protein that has turned out to be more invasive and we don't test for that delta variant except with whole genome sequencing so that process is a swab just like anyone would do for covid uh, but then some of those are taken to a very specialized lab and procedure where the uh where the dna is uh is taken is taken apart and um and that is chemically tested uh to find out uh what the nuclear uh code is and if it has the the uh, changes in the code that signify it's delta or one of the others that have been named uh and and it's a very very long test uh and it's really not a clinical test so even when we get results back from that uh, we're not permitted to release them to the patients and in most cases to the provider either because it's not a thoroughly tested um, um, uh, examination. Let's put it that way. The, the uh, 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 quality control is just being developed. The definitions are just being developed and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a moving target. So the labs and the CLIA uh, which is a lab quality assurance um, organization has said, look, it's important to know this stuff. It's important from a public health point of view for us to understand it, um, but it's not something that's either clinically useful to the provider or to the patient. Understood, thank you. All right, so we have about 10 minutes left. So we'll do one more rapid uh, fire round of questions from the media, starting off with KZYX. Yeah, thanks. Um, I understand that some of the sources for extra help with medical expertise are pretty well tapped out, but I'm wondering if you can talk about the extra help that is available either for the hospital or from the state to do contact tracing and some of the other work that needs to be done to try to mitigate the pandemic. Oh, that's a good question. So last year, you may remember that there was a disaster um, uh, volunteer service that the uh, state had many, many uh, volunteer workers, and they could go to various different hospitals or or uh, clinics or health departments to help with uh, testing or record keeping 
uh, and even care within the hospitals. That number has uh, decreased significantly and it's no longer um, uh, funded. Uh, we were able to get some workers for our, uh, I think it was Adventist Health Ukiah Valley from uh, who are respiratory therapists in the nick of time. It was, uh, we were promised two and got one and uh, we're hoping that that person will stay a little while longer, uh, but it was a, a very special request. Uh, when other requests were made for RNs and others, uh, they were not able to fulfill it. So they have gone to um, developing several strike teams that they make available in outbreaks or urgent situations. And uh, you know they can they can increase that, but at this point at the state level, the disaster volunteer lists are pretty much tapped out. So when we call for assistance from the state, uh, the hospitals will be given a, a list of registries for nurses or other professional help, and they have to uh, pay for it on their own, and they have to find out based on you know on the availability of the contractor whether there are whatever needs, if they can be addressed. So we're not in the same way, place as we were a year ago. And those people who are being supplied are being supplied for a very limited period of time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is gonna be Mendocino Action News. Okay, so out of the 67 COVID-19 fatalities in our county, when we say unvaccinated, does this mean no vaccine dose at all, or could it also mean they were had one dose? Uh, when we report it, um, we are usually looking at unvaccinated is not uh, completely vaccinated. So they have not completed their course, which is, uh, uh, defined as two weeks after their final uh, vaccine. So it was a Johnson Johnson, it was after their first vaccine, it was Moderna or Pfizer, they've had two vaccines and it's been two weeks and that's a full vaccine uh, series. And the reason we picked that number is because that's the point at which we think they've uh, come pretty close to, max to uh, maximum development of their own antibodies. So it's possible that some of the unvaccinated fatalities could have had one dose? Yes, it is possible. Okay, thank you very much. So let me also say that that was a very important issue when we were before we were dealing with Delta. With Delta, the efficacy of one vaccine is very small in comparison to uh, when it was when we were fighting uh, the UK variant, the Alpha. And, it would, and, and, the, and one vaccine would be fine uh, uh, and, and very effective against alpha or the natural virus. But with Delta, we're finding that the efficacy of just one dose is, is really not very good at all. Thank you, I appreciate that. And last but not least, Mendocino Voice. So, um, Dr. Corrin, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the recent decrease in average cases um, in the context of upcoming holiday events and county fairs and other things like that. So um, you said that at this point, it's reasonable to say that the decrease in average case rates over the last several weeks um, is probably significant and does indic indicate that that surge is decreasing a little bit in Mendocino and statewide, um, but also that we do have all of these different kinds of things coming up that last year, you know, led to increased case rates and surges. And so aside from people getting vaccinated, um, I, I don't know if you have any explanation for why that surge might be decreasing or if there's any plans to implement any kinds of policies or changes that might keep those numbers down as we head into the fall holidays? Well, you know, at this point, um, we hope that the current surge really is decreasing and it'll get down to the low levels that we saw at the end of the spring. Uh, but at, at this point, uh, it may not by the time, for example, uh, Halloween or Thanksgiving roll around. When we had the surge last summer, the recovery was much more complete. We were down to 
you know, very low case rates. And now we're not there yet. So uh, if, if we're at this rate or even at 20 cases per day or even at 10 cases per day, by the time we hit uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we can accept we can expect a significant uh, surge that may be more than we saw after Thanksgiving last year. And then, of course, you have that rolling increase uh, through um, Thanksgiving and then um, uh, Christmas and New Year's. Um, and so it can it can explode quite a bit like it did last winter. Um, the uh, the only other thing I can say is that. Um, um, we, we also worry when we're seeing surges, there's a, a huge multiplication of these viruses. And the more multiplication there is, the more chance there's going to be a mutation. And uh, many of those mutations, they don't mean anything. Many of them uh, are actually less uh, uh, infective than, than the one we have now. But one may emerge that's much more significant than Delta. So there's a lot of unknowns ahead of us. Um, are we uh, attempting to implement more orders to to uh, to change that? We, we you know we had a lot of orders last year, and they attempted to influence people's behaviors, and for the most part, I think they did. But what brought down uh, the numbers last year was clearly the imp uh, the implementation of vaccines, and so hopefully more vaccines uh, will be more people will take the vaccines up. And the policy at the big level is what uh, Biden announced uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, and he is going to mandate that many more people are going to have to be vaccinated. And that'll be not only government workers, but government contractors and uh, and people and employers who are employing more than 100 people. Uh, and that will I think I think I read somewhere that that is uh, in the range of a million people. Uh, or, or maybe more than that. Uh, so it's a lot more people throughout. I think it's much more than a million, um, but it'll, that will influence a lot how high our surges can be. So can we still have a surge? If it's all vaccinated people, it's not gonna be nearly the peak that we're seeing now. And so that's our real protection as a society right now is getting the vaccines out. Uh, if we need to have boosters, get the, the boosters to the most vulnerable people, uh, getting the children protected uh, and the other 25% of our community that is eligible and not getting it, many of them will uh, see uh, jump on board and get their vaccinations. Thank you. That sums up today's COVID-19 update. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to give Dr. Korn an opportunity to give his concluding comments. Well, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that we are coming uh, slowly away from the current surge, but we have some uh, threats up ahead with the holidays coming. Uh, and also uh, in the, this fall season uh, and the winter, we have other viruses that can be uh, also complicating this entire picture. Influenza, we've seen an, uh, an increase in RSV. Uh, which is generally thought to be a childhood or an infancy disease, uh, but that could complicate things also for children. Uh, so we have some threats ahead and I don't think we should uh, uh, lean back. I think we still need to get those vaccines out as much as we possibly can. Uh, they are now proven safe and effective. And um, we have a lot of that planned uh, for the next few months. But in the meantime, whether you're vaccinated or not, Remember to wear a mask, certainly in indoor public places. And when you're outside in crowds where you can't keep six feet of distance between you and someone who may not be from your household and may not be vaccinated, uh, use a mask at that time also. If you're more vulnerable, either because of prior illnesses or medicines you're taking, wear a mask. Don't you know? And if you're really vulnerable, there's double masking that you can do. Uh, and also remember the hand hygiene, uh, the distancing, Increase ventilation, so be outside as much as you can, uh, if, especially if you're with other people. Um, and uh, if you're inside, make sure windows are open and there's plenty of air circulation to uh, disperse these viruses. Um, and if you're sick, please don't go to work or go to school. Um, it's those people who don't know that they're sick uh, who we can't we can't control. They're going to be at some of those places and pass the infection on. They don't know they're sick. 
they're pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. But if you know you have a symptom, assume it's COVID, stay home, get tested. And that's all I'll say right now. I think as a community, we can get over this. We have to all use what we've already learned and uh, stay vigilant. And, uh, and uh, whoever has not gotten vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Thank you, Dr. Karn. Our next update is scheduled for September 24th. Please continue to follow Mendocino County Public Health on our Facebook page for all COVID-19 updates. Thank you everyone for joining us and I hope you have a good weekend.